little goodbye to all from the church. So I'm just going to start over here, and they're going to tell us what their plans are for the fall. Um, where you guys are all graduating from Monty, right? Montevideo High School graduates. Um, in the fall, I'm going to Viola University and majoring in nursing. Um, in the fall, I will be working, and then for about a year, then I'll be going to college or college. In the fall, I'll be planning on going to Lake Erie Tactical Elder. Cameron is going to be um, the kind of Eagle Scouts. He just created Eagle Scouts. That's a great accomplishment. We're going to be in that lab. Again, we uh, just love these guys. They've all been such uh, you know, faithful members of our youth program from growing up in that. And uh, we just thank God for them. And, and uh, as we send them off, we want to pray over them and pray over the folks as well. And again, after service, anyone that can join us, please come up or uh, it's a brunch and some great food, great team of fellowship. Will you extend your hands to them as a church family? God, thank you both for these three, for Anthony, God, and God, for others that could not be with us today. Lord, we are asking, Lord, that you would direct their steps. Lord, that your hand would be upon them, that you would touch them, you would strengthen them, that you would lead them and guide them. We pray, Lord, for parents, God, and I've been there, Lord, since that, as we see our kids go, and uh, Lord, it's that bittersweet kind of feeling that you watching them grow up and kind of take the next chapter, but Lord, that kind of the hard thing of letting them go. And I'm praying, God, for these parents as well, Lord, that they would continually and diligently pray for their kids and for we as a church body, we ask and that you would trust them and we trust them in your hands for every step of their lives, God, and may they trust you with all their heart. Lord, help them not to lean on their own understanding and Lord, in every single way, let them acknowledge you and put you first. And then, God, we're asking that you would direct their steps, that every day they would wake up and they would say, Lord, I want to live with you today. God, thank you for their lives. Thank you for this group. And we pray your greatest blessing over each one that you would protect them, watch over them, and Lord, ultimately, they would, they would love you with all their heart. In Jesus' name. Amen. Let's give them a hand. Thank you, guys. Can you see that? At this time, King and Cox and Father Nursery Children's Church are going to be with us today. You guys can be dismissed. The other kids can be dismissed. And one guys again, thanks for being here. Before we get started, I'm going to have uh, Robin wants to share something. Um, this morning, Pastor Kerry's word about the resume and standing before God is so timely. Um, the past six months, God has been, I'll say, dismantling me one piece at a time. And last night, in the smallness of who I am, that revelation from God that my resume is blank on both sides. And I've been in church almost my whole life. Um, God 
last night revealed himself to me in exactly what Pastor Kerry's message was. In the sense that we don't deserve his love. Our resumes are blank. What we do doesn't count. It's his love that reaches out to where he is. And that blood of Jesus is what he sees that washes and covers. And that revelation last night, the closeness of God because he chose to love me first. And the Holy Spirit came and indwelled in a way that I've never understood until last night. So the tonalness of Pastor Terry's word spent my life trying to build my resume to impress people. And last night, God took my resume and showed it to me. And I was humbly before Him, so humbled. And I just hope that the word Pastor Terry shared that realization it is His love that He chooses to give us. Not because of what we are, but because of who he is. And so I just I want to thank Pastor Kerry for that and sharing it. It really just reinforced the experience that I have with God. So thank you. Love it when God working and speaking is an awesome, awesome thing. And allow God to speak to your heart as well. It's a beautiful uh, thing. I just thank God so much for his love. Um, when you pray with me, let's get right into you this morning. And we'll be, we do love you. And thank you for your grace and your mercy. Lord, if not for your grace and mercy and love, Lord God, we not have a chance. Lord, that uh, you display your love for us by going to the cross. Lord, frankly, because we, we could never be good enough. Lord, I'm struck by that regularly. If we could have been good enough, there would have been no need for the cross. But Lord, because you went to the cross, it reveals, God, that how desperately we need you and how desperately you love us. What an amazing revelation. I pray, God, that we would know that in our hearts. And God, as we talked about being the message, Lord, that uh, ultimately we can look at you as the greatest message, that you lived the life, that you gave us an example to follow, to love, sincerely, genuinely, authentically. Lord, as we continue to look to you, God, I pray that we would be your message to the world, your message of love, your message of grace, in Jesus' name. Amen. So we're on week two um, of this series called Be the Message. You can see kind of the, the tagline, Speak Less, Love More. Uh, today is called Becoming Living Sermons. A living Sermons. Um, as we kick this off, you know, it's interesting too, as a pastor, as a preacher, and I said this last week as someone who talks somewhat for a living. Um, and the challenge of this is to talk less. And, and, and I've been challenged uh, about my own life. Is, is the world probably has heard a lot of sermons spoken, but have they 
seen a lot of sermons lived out by the church. And so the intention of this series to challenge us as followers of Jesus to live out the message of the gospel, the good news message of Christ in and through our lives to the world that we live in. Again, it's about following the lead of Jesus. You know, as Christians, do you hear the word Christians? Christ followers. If we are following, that means he's leading. So the very aspect of when you say somebody says, I'm a Christian, the first test is, are you following the lead of Christ? That we proclaim with both our words. It's not that we never say anything. It's that we speak with our words, but we speak louder with our actions. To reveal his heart to others by how we live our lives. And again, here's the challenge to people see the evidence of his work in me and through me. And here's the key verse of the series. We'll go to the next slide. This is um, that key verse that we're going to be tracking along. This is the kind of key this before us throughout these weeks as we uh, do this series. But John is writing and and John wrote about love a lot, but he says, Dear children, let us not love with words of speech, but with actions and in truth. And so even the first disciples, and he was one of them, they understood this idea that being around Jesus, they saw more than just a guy who was a great teacher. They were challenged by the way he lived his life, the way he modeled. And I said this last week, he didn't just teach about serving, he served. He did teach about it, but then he served. He took on the role of a servant to set an example. And John, also writing in John chapter 15, and then we've heard, especially some words this morning about the love of God, John, John is quoting Jesus and saying, remain in my love. That's the, 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 the source of your life, the source of your faith, the source of your walk with Christ should be that you be anchored in his love for you. When it becomes that I'm trying to do stuff to give his love, we've got it out of whack. Now, he's called us to do things. He's called, called us to good works. And I shared a little bit of this last week, but a lot of times we get it in reverse order. We do things to earn His love, and He says, you can't earn my love. But when you understand my love for you and how deeply I love you, then out of that loving relationship, all of a sudden, I want to do what He's called me to do. And then, therefore, the works come out of the place of a loving relationship. And that's why John says there, there are actions to this. Not just loving in words and speech, but in action. So today's passage, um, this idea of becoming a living sermon, this is a very challenging and convicting passage. Again, don't let it be a condemnation to you. Don't let it, you know, don't, don't sit there and do this inventory of like, I'm not doing enough and woe is me. Let the love of God rush in your heart. Again, that there's sometimes a divine priority shift and He wants to do that. Sometimes He will shake us away from things. But this is a very convicting passage in the idea of becoming a living son. In 2 Corinthians 3, Paul writes this. Let's look at this. We're going to track along in this today. He says, are we beginning to praise ourselves again? Because here's the thing about the resume. 
you know, the resume, and then we heard the word in, 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 in Robin's here, that, you know, a resume can be, it can be an intimidating thing or it can be a crisis thing, right? Because if you have this padded resume of all the stuff that you've done, it's what Paul says. He says, are we beginning to praise ourselves again? And then you come with this resume and you go, look at all the, how awesome I am. But then there's that, the shameful side of, of, of the intimidating side when you don't really have much to offer and you feel like my resume is blank. And Paul says, we have no reason to begin to praise ourselves. It's not about us. Paul diligently, and he preaches to us from a couple thousand years ago, he diligently pressed the point that it's not about us. It's not about how awesome we are. It's always about Jesus. It's about our lives reflecting Jesus. It's about our lives pointing people to Jesus. And he said, even if we think we're great, and Paul earlier on, and, and he said, if, if anyone could brag on themselves, he said, I, I could brag on myself. I'm a Pharisee of the highest order. I've studied this and that. In other words, in, in today's language, Paul would say, I have like two or three doctorates. I've got a PhD in this and a PhD in that. He said, if I could brag, it would be, I could brag on some things. Here's my lineage. I can chat back. My fathers, they were all, you know, Pharisees and law keepers. And, and, and he said, I, I look at the pedigree. He said, but none of that matters when I come to know Christ. He said, I could brag if I want to, but I'm not going to boast in that because when I look at myself, even my padded resume is nothing. It's nothing. Because my padded resume is not going to get me to heaven. My goodness, my deeds, it is trusting holy and solely in Jesus. So he says, are we beginning to praise ourselves again? Are we like others who need to bring you letters of recommendation? So he's talking about resumes there. Or who asks you to write such letters on their behalf? Surely not. The only letter of recommendation we need is you yourself. Your lives are a letter written in our hearts. Everyone can read it and recognize our good work among you. See what he's saying there? Clearly, you are a letter from Christ showing the results of our ministry among you. This letter is written not with pen and ink, but the Spirit of the living God. It is called not on tablets of stone, but on human hearts. So what's Paul saying here? He's saying, I don't want to see your resume. I want to see your life. I want to see where you put your trust. And then he's saying, the people that we've ministered to, they are actually our letter. They, they are actually our letter of recommendation. You know, how many of you got, you've had to have a letter of recommendation before? Most everybody in here, you probably did. You've done a job, or you've gone to school, and you need a letter of recommendation. I feel to keep out the kids going off to college. And, and Paul is saying, you know, because a letter of recommendation, you're not going to ask someone to give you a letter of recommendation, number one, that doesn't know you very well, or number two, doesn't like you very much. You know, somebody that you've offended and you're all, they don't really like you. Could you do a letter of recommendation for me? That's probably not a good idea. If you ever thought about it, don't do that, please. But what is, what, what is he getting at? And that's why a lot of people, may, you know, that, or they get a resume or they get a, you know, they're, or, you know, and that's the thing with a resume. When you present a resume, you're not presenting, you know, uh, you're, you're, presenting, you're presenting the best of you, right? There's not a lot of page three of a resume. Here's all my failures in life. I just thought you guys should know. 
But here's where I'm really good. Here's where I'm awesome. And here's where I'm really awesome. And Paul is saying, we're not asking for resumes or these letters of recommendation. You can see the people that we minister to. Let that be evidence of what God has done in and through us. Read the letter that is on their heart. And he says, I want to see those around you and what sermon you've been communicating with your life. In other words, more than words on a page, more than what you say, how do you treat other people? What is the sermon that has been written on the hearts of the people around you? Your spouse, your kids, your friends, your co-workers. What do people read when they read the sermon of your life written on the hearts of those? What sermon do they hear? And what are you writing on the hearts of those around you by what you say and what you do? And again, you look at the example of Jesus. Jesus would go into some of the most broken situations. He hung out with downcast people, hurting people, broken people. You know why that's so beautiful to me? It's because I'm one of them. And you are too. And when we realize our dependency and our brokenness, we are a step closer to Him. And we would find him in the Gospels hanging around people. He would go to their parties and the Pharisees and religious people of the day would rebuke him and say, why are you doing that? And why are you there? And, 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 and he goes to, you know, Matthew, before Matthew becomes a disciple, he goes to a, a party and so a bunch of tax collectors and there's not telling what's going on in that party, but Jesus is there. And here's the sermon that Jesus preaches. He's there and they want to, they're all kind of coming around him. He's controlling the spiritual atmosphere of the room. Not the other way around. You know, he's not going in there and just trying to, he doesn't compromise who he is. He goes in there and he's with them and all of a sudden they are, you know, you see them gathering around him and what do you have to say? There's something about you. and Because it was, the, it, it was the life that he lived and when we have the Spirit of Christ that we can go in and we can be among people but we control the spiritual atmosphere, not us, but Christ in us and the Holy Spirit. We live in a day and age where forms and methods of communication are more than ever in any time in history, right? I mean, texting, calling, FaceTime, Skype, email. And for you young people, there's these things called letters. It's an ink pen and paper. It's amazing. It's, you actually write words. But really, what is that? It's ancient dinosaurs. But remember back in the day, you know, you see if you've watched old war movies and there's correspondence, you know, and, you know, a, a soldier would write a letter and it would take, you know, a time to get there and, you know, and all of this, you know, um, you know, I don't know, tanks and forces had to get it back to where it needed to go. It took a, it took a while. Now you have troops that are able to, like, talk to their spouse and their kids on Skype. One guy and I showed him that he was able to see the birth of his baby from Afghanistan. You know, and so more than ever, we have this ability to communicate. Yet, true, deep communication and connectedness is more broken than ever before. It's got more ability, yet it's more broken. And we tend to not be deeply connected or deeply communicated. 
See, it's funny that we have found ways to not say as many words. We text LOL. Do you know what I mean? There's a real story. This is tragically funny, but this lady has sent a mass text to her kids and some relatives and friends, and she was notifying them of a relative who had passed away. And so she sends this mass text out and says, so-and-so just passed away, LOL. And so her daughter, if you don't know what LOL is, laugh out loud. Um, her daughter says, that's horrible, Mom, but why is this funny? And she said, what do you mean? And the daughter says, LOL means laugh out loud. And she said, oh my goodness, that's the, I thought it meant lots of love. I'm going to have to send it. It's like, well, if you'd have just said lots of love, you wouldn't have to worry about messing up LOL. And I love the one to say, okay, people to put okay. I'm like, how lazy do you have to be? You know, you can't say, okay, you know, I mean, come on. But we have ways to say as few words as possible. Or thanks, THX. That's a funny one. Just add a few letters for me, please, at least. And those are just funny examples. I'm not, I'm not crashing down on people's testing phrase, but um, it's just kind of a microcosm. As people, with all of this ability to communicate, we're more disconnected with each other than ever before. We may be connected in certain ways, but it has become shallow. And I'm talking about what I'm talking about is deep connection and relational communication. It's going to break down. And that's why today when we talk about being a living sermon, when Paul writes these words, he's saying to them, he said, don't, don't, we're not, we're not here to kind of pop up our, our resume, but just look at the lives that, that we have impacted. Let that be our letter. Let, let it be the letter to people that, you know, well, what are you doing? Well, let me, let me let you talk to this person and you can see the work that we're doing, we're being faithful but that it's about lives being touched. And that's ultimately what Paul is getting at. The gospel is about lives being touched. It's not about how much we know or more information. It's about the lives that are being impacted. Let these be our family. But the problem is that the way he was able to do that, that, they would go into the midst of these places and establish deep relational connections, Right? They would become among the people. That's why when the Ephesian, Ephesian Christians, there's this one story where Paul was heading, he knew he was supposed to go to Jerusalem, and he kind of knew that imprisonment was ahead of him, and he ultimately died for his faith. But I love this beautiful story, and it's, you can miss it if you just read across it. But the Ephesian Christians, they meet with Paul, they're telling him goodbye. They're begging him not to go because they understand what's ahead for him. And it says they gather around him and they're begging him not to go and it says they begin to weep and they begin to tell him goodbye and they're hugging him and they're weeping. And to me, what, is, what, what, what that reveals, and, 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 and not more than just a sweet story, it shows me that there was a deep relational connection that he had built with these people. And so that's what I'm getting at. And that's why there's such a breakdown in deep relational connection in our day. The enemy wants to break that down. One of the greatest stresses in relationships 
one of the greatest causes of conflict in marriage, family, for workplace is a breakdown in deep, meaningful connection and communication, right? And so even though we have all these devices to help us communicate more than ever before, very few, few people are really communicating on a deep level. The lines of communication are breaking down between husbands and wives, parents and children, co-workers, bosses, employees, students, teachers. And again, when that breaks down, and there's, you know, first of all, it's the breakdown of communication, then the next level is where there's a sense of hurt. Then it begins to be gossip and division. And so, as we stated, this series about proclaiming the gospel, not just by what we say, but about who we are and who and how we reflect Jesus to the world around us. And so, we're talking about how you can discover and align your life with your life message through Christ and allowing His power to be revealed. And it's not just about words. Because every decision we make Every action that we do communicates something. Every day, moments of the day, we're preaching sermons, right? We're communicating, we're preaching sermons with our lives. And so as we talk about this communication breakdown today, what I want to talk about in kind of a focused way are the people that are closest to us. Because it's very hard to be the message to the world and be the gospel to the world unless you are the gospel and the good news to the people that are closest to you. And that's where the enemy battles unity within families, within marriages, and within the church. And so that's the first breakdown. And before we can be the message out there, how are we being the message to those closest to us? And, and, and I want to pause here. Don't uh, again, not intended to condemn, but to challenge, to encourage us to realign us and through the power of the Spirit that we can have new life and new mercy and new grace today to live the life that He's called. Growing up, um, the hometown in that, that Athena and I met in, in Cleveland, Tennessee. Cleveland, Tennessee is the headquarters for the, the big denomination that we were a part of. And I've shared some of this before, but um, we, we went to the, the large church in town. It's kind of the mothership of the whole denomination. And, and, and because it was the headquarters, you had a lot of pastors and preachers' kids that were in our youth group. And we saw this consistently um, and tragically that a lot of them, not all of them, but a lot of the preachers' kids that we were friends with, they made some of the worst life decisions. Some of them are still real. And we're friends with some of them on Facebook, and it's sad. Because what was happening, and, 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 and my, you know, and I had family members that were that, that were kind of a part of, of, of seeing what was happening. What was happening is Dad is pastoring, and he's winning the world, and he's proclaiming the gospel, and his own family is being neglected, and his own family is breaking down. And so a lot of times, the young people, they would feel like Dad valued that more than he valued us. 
And so the message at home was being muddied because he's winning the world, but he's leaving his family alone. And we saw this over and over. We saw how it affected. And so in talking about where it begins with the people closest to us, we can't neglect our family to change the world or we lose our power and influence to impact the world. So our primary ministry focus is our marriage and our family, the ones that are closest to us. To lead by example, point them to life in Christ. To lead them and love them with how we prioritize them. The second is my church family and my connection there. Because we are a family. And we're called by God to be truly and deeply connected with our biological families, but also to the family of God. Paul's analogies of the, the, of the, the church being the body of Christ, of being a unified group, connected with one another, he intended to be deep, relationally connected. It doesn't work any other way. So we have to realign our priorities to be able to minister to our world. And that's where the enemy battles those relationships the hardest, first on the family, then in the church. And again, this is not about being walking in a level of perfection and having my resume, but sometimes it's being willing to say, I'm sorry, please forgive me. One major strategy in battle to win is to remove your enemy's ability to communicate. That's a military strategy. Is when you can break down communication, then your enemy has the they they they, they lose the ability to be able to you know to, to say we're you know we're, we're this is a mission and we need you to come here we need you to come here and at the right moment when we give this signal you come around you flank this and whatever the mission is if you can help break down that communication where they're not able to communicate with each other that is a military strategy in defeating your enemy. And our enemy, Satan, knows that. That if he can cause communication breakdowns in marriage, family, or church, or friendship, or workplace, he can bring destruction in this relationship. Because he understands that deep, relational, honest communication enables unity. One of my favorite stories, um, this is from... It's a book written back and they did a movie, but it's called The Band of Brothers. If you guys are familiar with this, this is the, in World War II, it's the initial group that was a part of the 101st Airborne Division that jumped out of airplanes into Normandy um, on D-Day. Well, the book tracks along and, 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 it, and it tells true stories of what they endured. And it's, I mean, it's an unbelievable um, you know, stories of courage and heroism and um, but one story just gets me. I mean, you know, I've seen the movie, and it's an amazing story. It's one of the one of the men. His name is Lieutenant Ronald Spears. He was uh, he was a one of the leaders among you know uh, among that group of 101st Airborne. Well, they had gone into a town, and there was one unit that had gone around and and 
you know, and they were, you know, they were setting up kind of a, a station area, and then they, the, the other team, you know, the other crews were coming up, you know, through this way, but they lost communication with each other. These guys were supposed to give them kind of covering fire, but they had broken down, and so the communication was lost in that other group, and they knew without them, if that, if that unit leaves, we're in trouble. We're getting guts out here. Because they're supposed to give, you know, kind of covering fire, and then we get to move in. And so there are just bullets flying all around these guys, and somebody needs to do something and says that we cannot lose that other unit. If they think that we're okay, they're going to go. They're going to keep going forward, and we're going to be all alone here. And so it's literally, I mean, if you can imagine, if you've seen it, you know, but if you've ever seen these war movies, I mean, it's a, it's a real situation. Bullets are flying everywhere, and, you know, there's real fear here. There's real, there's a real problem. Well, Lieutenant Ronald Spears just decides that he's going to do something about it. And in this, I don't know, you can call it brave, you can call it crazy, or a little bit of both. He comes around the wall and he just begins to run right at the Germans and he runs right through them. And he's literally running around. They, these guys are they are they are stunned that this guy and they're shooting it and they just watch him run by. And they're all just kind of frozen, like, what is he doing? This is, he has lost his mind. He runs right in the middle of them. Goes, jumps over the wall, and he establishes communication. We, we, the radios are broken down. We, we've lost communication, so he goes and makes physical connection. Don't leave. We need you just to let you know we're over here. And so then what does he do to get back to his company? He runs right back to where he just came. And goes back and gets with his unit. And, and this is the true story. This story is told in the book. And... You know, and, 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 you know, his, of course, deep respect was, was had by his guys, but, you know, they were like, this was an act of brave stupidity. I don't know what it was, but this is crazy. But communication had to be reestablished. And he was courageous enough to do it. And today, it's I'm asking who will be courageous enough to not be intimidated by the enemy's schemes? Who will run into the enemy's territory of what he's trying to steal and reestablish through Christ's deep communication and relationship? Not just talking about it, but deep relational connection. So is there a relationship in your life right now where you have communication breakdown? Deep relational connection has been severed. Because the key here is not just to go to a person, but it's to first of all run to Christ. The key to healing and wholeness in the relationship is to love Him first. And through that, and, and that's why Matthew, in Matthew, he says, Seek first the kingdom of God, and then all these other things will be added unto you. Seek first Christ, make Christ first. Surrender your life in, and out of that place, He begins to help you heal and get whole in relational connection. It's about giving up control in my own life to Him, giving my life to Him. Then He begins to heal me, and then He moves me towards other people to love sincerely, to forgive. That doesn't come easy, does it? 
That's why we need the power of Christ, the power of the Spirit. If I'm courageous enough to, first of all, give my heart fully and completely to God, and then He helps me to forgive. He helps me to let go of a grudge. He gives me grace and peace in relationships to either reconcile or at least be a peace in my own heart. Some people, you can do whatever you know to do, and they may not want to be reconciled with you, but you have to be at peace with God to do what you know to do. And also maybe to repent. Say, I'm sorry. I want to turn the other way. So the relationships closest to are the first sermons that we preach to the world. And I love the mission example of, let's do the next uh, slide there. This beautiful picture of Christ, again, his example, the Word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. That's relational. He didn't just see us from heaven and see the brokenness of humanity and see the sinfulness of man and the choice of sin. He came to us and he became relational with us. And the idea that Christianity is a relationship with Christ. And so he made this relational connection through what he did on the cross. He came to be one of us. So as we wind this down, how do I be a living sermon? Let's go to the next slide. Um, how do we be a living sermon? Before I open my mouth, I must open my heart. Before I open my mouth, I must open my heart. Before I say a word, I need to reveal my heart. And that's what Jesus did. He is the God of the universe, all powerful, all perfect. He has no needs, but he comes to the earth and puts on a suit of frail, vulnerable human flesh. He becomes one of us as human beings to know us completely. He enters the world as a tiny baby. He's totally dependent on earthly parents. He's totally dependent on these other human beings. Why would he do that? And it's to be relationally connected with us, to know us. He wanted us to seek His heart. He wanted us to know His heart so that we could communicate with Him and then communicate the good news to others. Isn't it amazing that He came in a vulnerable way as a child? That He needed people to do stuff on Him? He needed to learn to walk and He, he made Himself vulnerable in how He came in humanness. And I believe even how he came communicates his love for us and love for us in a powerful way to make himself vulnerable. Frail, tiny, the God of the universe. And so what's the example there that that means if I'm gonna break through in deep relationship communication and connection with the people in my life, I can't hide my weaknesses. I can't pretend that I've all got it all together and have my resume and that's what I'm showing the world and see how awesome I am because I'm so afraid that if you see my weakness that you're going to be disappointed. The problem is, is they're going to see your weakness and they're going to see my weakness at some point. And that's why we live life sometimes so that we're trying to maneuver around the real us coming out and being seen. My, my failures, my brokenness, my hurts, my problems. 
We don't like to talk about that. We like to, we like to live Facebook world, and here's the best of me, and here's my accomplishments, here's my best picture, and here's how great I am. But what we learn from Jesus is to, to say that when it came in vulnerability is the church and we need to understand the relationship, we need to be more vulnerable and trying to come up with one another. Admitting that we're broken, that we're weak, that we make mistakes. Again, our culture, it, it seems noble to hide your weaknesses and put on the best mask to try to make people think that I'm really doing okay. And I think that that's why, that's a part of why there's so much depression is because people more than ever have a hard time being authentic and real. And so when you live life and you have stopped being real and authentic, it's, a, it's an exhausting trip. It's tiresome. Because we put this thing out, I want people to think that I have it all together, that I have it all figured out, that I don't struggle with anything. I believe God is calling us in a new way to authentic relationships, to transparency. And that's where deep, meaningful relational connections happen. It's when we admit our weakness and we see each other's weakness, yet we still love. Here's Jesus that comes as a model, vulnerable, and then he grows up and he gives his life and he knows that you're broken and he knows that I'm broken and he still chooses to love us. That's the meaningful relational connection. And I think that that is one of the loudest things that we can speak to the world is to say, here I am, here, here's the real me. And it reveals that how much I need God. That's why James says, confess your faults to each other that you might be healed. And God wants to do an internal healing in us. And when we say, here I am, I want to be transparent. Because it's interesting, people are drawn to honesty and transparency. Because when you're honest and transparent with people and vulnerable, they feel like that they can be safe with you. There's nothing worse than something like, you know, you have accountability groups or whatever, and somebody comes in and they're hiding all the, you know, it's like, well, you know, I, you know, what did you struggle with? And, you know, somebody just pours their heart out on the other guy, and he's like, well, you know, I, uh, you know, I, I just, you know, I, I like to eat too much sometimes. It's like, is that as deep as we're going? <laughs> wow. But when you are open and real, people feel like that they can be honest. But it is humbling. But humility is great strength, isn't it? Humility and honesty actually reveal great strength because it's not in my own strength. It's not in my own power. It's not, again, how awesome I am. It's pointing to the awesomeness of Jesus. I'm weak, but he's strong. That's why Paul said, I could boast in this, but I'm going to boast in my weakness. I'm going to boast in my weakness because in my weakness, he is strong. And that the grace of Christ is seen in my life. And then people look at him and go, whoa, I know the real you, and you're kind of a mess. And he's like, yeah, isn't God great? 
Instead of saying, look how awesome Paul is. That's, a, that's a, one of the signs of a, being a great follower of Christ is if they talk about you more than Jesus after they encountered you, something is probably wrong. But if they see the work of Christ and they go, I know the real you and you're in your struggles, yet God seems to be working through you and it points to the power of Christ in you. And His glory is revealed in my weakness. So we need to be real. We need to be transparent and authentic. And I, I, I believe in that place, again, in our marriages and our families. When we begin to do this, deep connection begins to happen. Healing begins to happen. And it reveals Christ in a greater way. But it all goes back to relationship with Him. If you're having a breakdown in relationships, it, 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 we, we need to go back to Him. That's the beginning point. To say, Lord, I, I need to get some things right with you first. And so he invites us in a new way to surrender our hearts in a new way to him. Living for him completely and wholly. And when we do that, we receive his love and it enables us to admit our failures and shortcomings and points of his work in me. Then his love removes fear. Because there's a fear to being transparent, right? Fear to being honest, to the fear to being, you know, humbling myself to be transparent. The fear and the pride of admitting that we're wrong and asking for forgiveness. The fear and the justification of not forgiving. The fear of running across the enemy's lines and reestablishing deep relational connection. I love this passage here. From the message first John again, John's writing here you know, the chapter before he's talking about love and action, you know, um, the, the, the keepers. So there he says, There's no room in love for fear. Well formed love banishes fear. Well formed love. What is well formed love? It's knowing that God loves you. It's being convinced that God loves you. He says, Since fear is crippling, a fearful life, fear of death, fear of judgment is one not yet fully formed in love. What is John saying is that those fears, if those fears drive you, you have lost the confidence in, in God's love. Knowing that He loves me for who I am. That He loves me in my weakness. That He loves me and He created me to be me. He uniquely made me. He didn't make me to be anybody else. And He loves me right where I'm at. And He said, that, 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 that's perfectly formed love. And it's going to banish fear. And when I understand God's love, and then I don't have a hard time being honest with you. Or saying I'm sorry, or please forgive me, or I, you know, I missed it, I blew it. Going to somebody, and that doesn't mean you have to be transparent and honest with everyone, but it means to have some deep relationship connection. Let it begin in your family to be able to go in a new way and say, I'm going to walk in confidence in God's love, I'm going to reject fear, and I'm going to run across the enemy's line, and I'm going to reestablish a meaningful a connection in relationships. Because in that place, we become living sermons. And that's what Paul says. We begin to see the work happening. And the enemy is going to try to break those down. And then when that happens, again, people see the awesomeness of them and not our awesomeness. So before I open my mouth and I open my heart, let's go to the last slide here. 
been challenging guys each week, and, um, and this is how we're going to close today. This week, your purposeful act or act of kindness. I mean, I, whatever that is, so if that's paying for somebody behind you in the drive-through, if that's buying a cup of coffee, somebody that's getting groceries for someone, that's writing someone a note, if that's encouraging someone, be intentional about doing that this week. In the name of Jesus, do it. And then I added this next one, and these will be in your bulletin each week, but I added number two. But this one is probably going to be the hardest. You take a courageous step to reestablish deep relationships and communication with someone close to you. If there's a relationship that has been broken down, if there's something that you know you need to say, I encourage you to say it. Ask God for strength and bolt across the enemy's line because the enemy is going to try to keep that those connections, communication connections, is going to try to divide us. And God wants to heal us. And He wants to make us whole in families and in the church so that we can be living sermons out there. Let's stand in prayer. I was told we had lots of food upstairs, so I encourage you to come join us. And um, as I close in prayer, I'm going to pray for the meal as well. Jesus, we love you again, Lord. We thank you for your great love. Thank you for revealing your heart to us today, Lord, and some of the words that were given. Lord, that we can trust your love. Lord, that in a new way, no matter where we're at, Lord, and we're all on different journeys and we all have a unique life and a unique calling, but Lord, you see every single one of us and your love is so great for each of us. I pray in a new way, God, that we would surrender our hearts to you, that we would give you our lives. We would say yes to you every day. And that, Lord, that first meaningful relational connection would be with you. That we would, Lord, for those here that maybe maybe they're far away from you, or maybe they've never really understood what it means to have God love them in that way. Lord, that the first place is that we would reconnect with you. That we would remember love, we would remember grace, we would remember mercy, we would look at the cross and see your expression of love. Lord, that as we walk in confident love, Lord God, that that love can't stop fear and remove fear that we can now be relationally connected to one another, like for unity. Lord, one, one of the things that the Bible says is that, that the world would know that Christ was sent, that, that and basically the world would know the gospel by how we love one another. And so we are living, living sermons by having love those closest to us. How I love my wife reveals Christ. How I love my children reveals Christ. How I love you as my brother and sister in the church reveals Christ. God, let us be living sermons this week in Jesus' name. Lord, I pray, God, for the meal today. God, thank you for this time. Lord, again, I pray a blessing over our graduates. Lord, that you would lead them and guide them and strengthen them. And Lord, as we bless them today and honor them today, I pray, God, that uh, your, again, your presence would be with us, that you would bless the food. Thank you for it. In Jesus' name, Amen. God bless you. Hope you can join us upstairs. If not, have a great week. God bless each of you. I'm <laughs> <laughs>
Thank <laughs> you.